At last, the sisters unite. But you'll never believe what they do. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. It was finally time for Jacob to leave Padan Aram, where he had lived for 21 years, to return to the land of Canaan. At first, Rachel and Leah did not want to leave. After all, this was the only home that they had known. But then something happened. Genesis 31.14 is our source, and it's a doozy. I've looked at this passage in Hebrew and English translations and with various commentaries. They all come to the same point. Let me read it in English translation for you. Rachel and Leah said to Jacob, Do we still have a share and an inheritance in the house of our father? Does he not think of us as strangers? He has sold us and taken our money. But all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now, whatever God has said to you, do. Let's unpack this. Apparently, Laban denied a share of his estate to his daughters. Normally, his estate would go to his eldest son, but we never read of any sons of Laban. So, who would get his estate? Possibly, it would be Jacob, his son-in-law. But Laban knew that Jacob had deceived him. So, perhaps Laban wrote him out of his will as well, giving his property to God knows whom. Rachel and Leah, rival sisters, united against a common enemy, their father who wanted to steal their money. They told Jacob, their common husband, to do whatever he needed to do to take their rightful property with them to the land of Canaan. And Jacob was certainly ready to act. He had already modeled Laban's sheep and sold property that he had acquired while in Padam and Ram. We learn this here for the first time as well. Jacob was not just Laban's indentured servant for 21 years. He was also a landowner who had a business arrangement with his father-in-law. The family tried to make a quick exit and flee to Canaan. It's reminiscent of how Jacob fled to Padan Aram. In both cases, they snuck away in the middle of the night. But this time, they get caught. Laban was also angry because Rachel stole his teraphim which sources interpret as the family's idols. Now, why would she take them? There are two possibilities. The first is that Rachel, and perhaps Leah, was still an idolater. This would not be surprising. After all, Rachel and Leah grew up amongst idolaters. Of course, the rabbis don't like this idea. They could not envision two of the Jewish matriarchs being idolaters. They had to be as monotheistic, as pure, as their husband. So they came up with another idea. Rachel stole the terebinths, the family idols, to further torment her father. She worshipped God, but would, who would Laban worship if he didn't take his family idols? That would be torture for him. When Laban discovered that the teraphim had been stolen, he pursued Jacob for seven days. When he finally confronted him, contrary to God's command, 
Laban was upset because he did not get a chance to give Jacob and his daughters a fond farewell. Sure. After arguing for a time, they came to terms and made a peace treaty, and then they went on their separate ways. We'll see this again with Jacob and Esau. But before they made this treaty, Laban searched the encampment for the teraphim. He checked everyone's tent. But when he entered Rachel's tent, Rachel was sitting on a camel sack in which the idols were hidden. Laban wanted to search the sack, but Rachel lied by saying she was menstruating and could not get up. Laban accepted her excuse and left. Rachel kept the teraphim. What happened to the teraphim? Nobody really knows. There is no evidence that Rachel actually used or worshipped them. The Torah never speaks of the teraphim again, so we are left to our imaginations. Or is there really something else? In chapter 35, God instructs Jacob to return to Bethel, dwell there, and make an altar to God. Furthermore, God told Jacob and his household to, quote, discard the alien gods that are in your midst, cleanse yourselves, and change your clothes. The members of his household gave Jacob their alien gods in earrings. Jacob buried them beneath the terebinth tree near Shechem. And that seems to be the end of the teraphim. Later, we read of Rachel's death while giving birth to Benjamin, Jacob's youngest son. Rachel was buried where she died, in Bethlehem. Jacob set up a monument over her grave. To this day, it is a shrine for infertile women to pray to God to give them a child. And from that day forward, Jews erect a monument over a beloved dead. As a side note, after Rachel's death, Jacob pays his respect to Isaac, who is still alive. Can you believe it? Jacob and Esau buried him together in the cave of Machpelah, where his father Abraham and mother Sarah were also entombed. Sounds like a prelude to the fateful meeting later on, because Jacob and Esau turns out did see each other before that encounter after Jacob wrestled with the angel. Confusing. What happened to Leah? After Rachel's death, her story goes cold. We do not hear about her until the end of chapter 49, when Jacob is about to die. He summons his sons and instructs them to bury him in the cave of Machpelah next to his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, and where Leah is buried. This is the only clue we have that Leah had died. It's also the only clue we have that Rebecca had died. What then is the arc of their story? We see them first as rivals for the affections of Jacob. Then they are engaged in a competition for the number of children each of them bears. But then they join in deceiving their father by helping Jacob, blotting the sheep, and stealing the teraphim. Then Rachel dies. Later, we assume that Leah also dies. Leah never took agency. She never once complained about her situation. She agreed to marry Jacob and deceive her sister. She lorded her fertility prowess over her sister, and she followed her sister's lead when they left home with the teraphim. Rachel, though, is a different story. She is deceived by her father and sister. But when she sees that Leah has borne four children, she pleads with Jacob to intercede with God in her behalf, only to be rebuked. And then she steals the teraphim. 
This is the only time that she takes agency, that she actually does something to better her situation. We can't say for sure that her action was positive or effective, but at least she acted. Perhaps if she had lived past Benjamin's birth, Rachel would have grown into a strong, independent woman like her aunt, Rebecca. We will never know. Here, the Torah gives us a heady dose of realism. Women in the ancient world had little recourse to any infertility treatments, and they often died in childbirth. The only good news is that Benjamin survived and lived to adulthood. On our next episode, we will discuss Jacob's daughter, Dina. She, too, has an amazing story. The question of her agency looms large in her tale, too. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. If you would like to listen to previous episodes, please go to www.torahforchristians.net or find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or other podcast sites. And now, if you like us, you can give us a tip and support us on Buzzsprout. I pray that you have a good week. And remember, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together as one. Till we meet again, I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians.